Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into a special edition of Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. If you listened earlier in the week um, or for the last couple of weeks, Jason Staples and myself got together and recorded some transfer spotlight analysis pieces to go along with some uh, video breakdown that Jason did for the Tar Pit Premium Message Boards. If you're not a member of the Tar Pit Premium Message Boards, you need to become a member of Inside Carolina's Premium Stuff. Uh, because those videos are just fantastic to sort of learn what North Carolina is getting in regards to the transfer portal. They've got 11 commitments, nine of which we discuss on these these, uh, individual shows. And what I've done in this segment is I've put all of those shows together. So we've got a couple hours of content straight talking about transfer spotlight, straight talking about their impact and fit with North Carolina in their respective rooms and overall on Mac Brown's North Carolina program so stay tuned for those they run for a long time but enjoy the content here at the inside carolina podcast feed so here you go starting off with number one nate mccollum slot receiver out of georgia tech all the way through to antavius lane a safety from georgia state they're all enrolled at north carolina they'll all be there for spring practice and they'll all be expected to contribute when the 2023 season rolls around as always before we get started Go to Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com and support them. They're sponsors of this podcast. And also rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Rate us on however you receive these podcasts. And leave us a review. Leave us a review. Ask a question. We'll try to get to it when we discuss uh, things late on later podcasts. But without further ado, first, we're going to start right out the gate with, with a big pickup, I think, for North Carolina. And we were sort of talking about it off air and we'll talk about it here nate mccollum wide receiver 511 184 from georgia tech jason overall thoughts on this pickup for north carolina well first of all i mean you, you have to remember that north carolina is coming into this this season without without anybody in the transfer portal in terms of returning wide receivers they only had five guys on the roster coming back so they desperately needed to add quality bodies to that room regardless just because you can't go into a season with that few players even if they're all really good because you you just have to rotate some at that position so first of all they needed to get bodies the thing that really has stood out to me is that the guys that they've added are outstanding players they're they're guys that that are excellent players and and the first one here nate mccollum is a guy that uh when you turn on the tape when you when you take a look at what he did at georgia tech and that was a bad georgia tech team as we know when you look at what he did against teams that knew that they only had a couple players who were threats, this is a really good player. And this is a guy that's going to be a, uh, a real weapon for the, the Carolina offense. And in a lot of ways, he is a plug and play replacement for a guy who's, who he's friends with. And that's Josh Downs. He is a natural replacement, just a plug and play guy for, for that spot and for that role in this offense and, and, uh, and a guy that can make a lot of big plays from the slot and you can move him around. I think you can play him even in the backfield at times. 
Yeah, looking at what Mac said about him, he and Josh Downs sort of share a trainer um, and share a lot of the same skills now. Folks are going to expect an immediate Josh Downs replacement, and there's just not one of those. But like you say, Jason, he is a plug-and-play guy. Played three years for Georgia Tech, 29 games, 10 starts. Did not play against Carolina this past year in Keenan Stadium, um, which you would have thought would have been a good thing for North Carolina to not have to face him. That game didn't work out anyway. Um, but 60 catches, 655 yards, three different quarterbacks. Now, Jason, he comes to North Carolina – Certainly, it benefits North Carolina. It also benefits him because he'll be playing with Drake May. From breaking down the film, what do you see on him that makes him that plug-and-play guy? Well, first of all, he's a really, really fast player. Plays at a very, uh, very high, just a ton of speed. A lot of, uh, uh, a lot of burst, and uh, just a big play waiting to happen in that respect. So. In that sense, you, you talk about what Josh Downs brought to the table for Carolina from the slot position is he was a guy, you know, undersized, small guy, 5'10 on the on the depth chart. I I don't think he's gonna measure at 5'10 when he goes to the when he goes to the NFL combine, but just you you could not contain that guy in a phone booth. The the kind of burst and quickness that he brought to the table, he was always open. And McCollum brings a lot of the same kinds of traits and you can see that they're, you know, the same kinds of guys that would, that would train with the same, you know, the same type of training makes sense actually. Uh, but he's really fast and bursty and very difficult to single cover as a result. I actually think in terms of long speed, I'm, he might actually be a little faster than Josh. Uh, you know, Josh Downs is a really fast player, but one of the things that I, I, I mentioned earlier in this, in the uh, season, Josh Downs on the year, uncoverable as a route runner, really subtle speed shifts and all of that, but only four yards per, of yards after catch per reception McCollum in 2022 averaged 5.6 yards after the catch per reception, which tells you a little bit about their games. Uh, and I think part of that is that he not only has kind of the burst and the, the long speed that you're that you're uh, hoping to replace with Josh Downs, but he's also a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. So Downs, you know, Downs is listed as what 175 pounds. Again, I don't, I'm not sure he's actually that heavy. I think that's an aspirational weight. <laughs> Probably 170, might be 165 pounds when when you know in terms of if you had actually weighed him during the season. McCollum is, is 185 pounds, 184 pounds. And when you watch him on tape, he actually plays thick. He's, he's a guy that plays really strong and uh, carries himself sort of like a tailback. He carries his pads like a tailback, like a small scat back. And when he's gotten the ball in space, he's a guy that, that actually runs through arm tackles and, and, uh, and gets extra yardage and breaks that extra yardage with the combination of burst and balance and really strong lower half and core. So that adds, you know, that additional dimension when you, when you use him on screens, when you get him the ball in space, you expect him to be able to get, you know, again, averaging 5.6 yards after the catch in, in an offense that really didn't get him the ball in great situations a lot of the time. So uh, I think that's where you can, where you can look at a lot of the same kinds of things as, as downs, uh, but with a little bit more play strength and, 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 uh, maybe a little bit more yards after catch ability. Uh, the place where he's not as strong is he's more of a single speed player. 
So he's super bursty, accelerates effortlessly, all of those things that you want to see. But Josh Downs would put on a clinic with speed changes. So he'd be running along and you'd think he's running fast. And then all of a sudden he'd hit, you know, downshift into fourth and fifth gear really quickly and run by you because of the subtle speed shifts and, you know, just little subtle things that he would do as a route runner. I see less of that from a column. There's some capacity. He's not, he's not uh, uncoached. He's, he's actually pretty well schooled as a, as a route runner, but it's not the, the finer points of the craft to the same degree that Josh Downs brought to the table to be able to do certain things with subtle speed shifts and you're going, you know, 75% speed, then 90% speed. And then, Oh, there's your hundred percent. And then zero, you know, that's the sort of the sort of stuff that downs would do with McCollum. It's a little bit more, you know, 80% speed, hundred percent speed, and that's it. <laughs> right. But when he gets into the open field, I think he is a legit low four, four range guy. Uh, I think Downs is in the same range. I mean, very similar uh, overall long speed and uh, is a threat to take take it the distance anytime he touches it because of how quickly he accelerates and then he's just not going to get chased down from behind. Yeah, so North Carolina will use him. I, you know, a lot of times we expected Downs to sort of get more play in the backfield. And you mentioned McCollum's uh, the, the appearance of a scat back. And you're right, watching video of him, he looks like a – at one of those type running backs. Um, so Carolina can use him. Something else he also does is he returns punts. And Josh Downs was that guy for North Carolina. And I don't think we can overestimate the importance of having a solid punt returner, um, especially for North Carolina, can we? No. And and the biggest thing is you got to have a guy who's reliable catching it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he was a reliable catcher of punts. And if you just catch every punt, you're saving your 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 team, you know, let's say there's four punts in a given game. Well, okay. Your Carolina's defense this year, let's say there's one punt in a given game. Uh, <laughs> Times sorry. are changing. Yeah. Okay. So we'll, we'll just go with three punts for, for, for next year's defense <laughs> per given game. You're saving your, your team 35, 40, 50 yards in offense every week, just by catching the punt. If you just fair catch every punt, you're saving your team, you know, 10, 12 yards per, per punt. And sometimes a good bit more if, you know, you get a a roller. So that part really matters. And he's a reliable catcher of the football. And that's another thing as a receiver, the the ball skills for a guy that's 5'11". And I'm not sure he's, again, I think he's closer to probably 5'10 and a half, just looking at him on the field. For a guy that's that size, the ball skills are really, really advanced, much, much better than what you'd expect. And and, uh, one of the things I like, I look for when I'm looking at a receiver is when he's on a vertical route, does he catch it correctly, keeping his body between the ball and the guy who's chasing him? So that means you kind of have to catch it over your head and over that outside shoulder. And he does that consistently and he does it consistently well. And that's actually hard to do. You have to coach that into a player. And he does that consistently well. It's something Downs did, and it's one of the reasons why he was such a weapon on verticals despite his height is because he was so good at using, at putting his body in the right position to shield where the ball was. McCollum does a lot of the same stuff, but you have to have really good hands to do that. And so as a punt uh, returner, he's a guy that you trust to catch it. And again, when when he gets it, he turns into, you know, basically a small, very bursty, fast scat back who's not easy to get on the ground and uh actually i'm curious to see whether or not he ends up getting some opportunities as a kick returner as well because the the long speed and the and his willingness to just get vertical 
with the football instead of running horizontally. And that's something that else that sticks out as a punt returner is he does not dance side to side. He catches a seam and goes straight, goes north south. That's another thing that you look for in kick returners, and he's got the speed and acceleration to do that. So I think that's something they may actually take a look at as well. Nate McCollum, transfer from Georgia Tech, wide receiver, Josh Downs replacement. Sounds like it might be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back in to Inside Carolina's special transfer spotlight. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Jason Staples, of course, Inside Carolina's football expert. Next up. Last week, we did Nate McCollum. Today, it is Devontez Walker, 6'3", 192, out of Charlotte, out of West Charlotte, committed to Central um, out of high school. And, of course, North Carolina Central didn't have a season, so he went on out to Kent State. And, Jason, uh, one thing I think of this guy, and we talked about it with McCollum, and McCollum has two years left, as does Devontez Walker, two years left. Speed, speed, and more speed. First thing I see with him, what would you see on the film breakdown? combination of size you know frame and speed this is a guy that can really run and run at a nfl outside wide receiver size uh the tools are all there for this guy and you know those of you who've been following inside carolina for a long time have known that i really was very bullish on antoine green from the time that carolina signed him and then you know he kind of got derailed by by injury there but then eventually you know, the last second half of last year and then this year really became a quality, really high quality wide receiver and a deep threat, a vertical threat who could do a lot for you and threaten defenses down the field. This is a guy that we talked about it with McCollum just stepping right in for a Josh Downs type role. Well, Devontae Walker steps in and basically is a clone of Antoine Green in a lot of ways. Uh very, very fast downfield. I think he's actually probably a little faster than Green, uh, at least post-injury Green. I think based on my usual rules of thumb when I'm watching guys at full speed on on tape, I, I, I think he's 4-4-5 four, four, or better. So you're looking at mid to low 4-4s, four, might be even a little faster than that. Uh, one, uh, one scouting service had him uh, topping out at around 23 miles an hour on a, on a long – touchdown against Georgia. So that, and that's in pads, that's really fast. So you look at the fastest guys in the NFL and they're hitting, you know, 23 and a half on, on the season. Those are some of the fastest times that you're going to get of guys in pads based on their GPS stuff. So this is a guy that can really run and uh, is an immediate vertical threat. Six, three plays longer and bigger, I think even than his listing. Uh, And, Again, I think a very similar player to Antoine Green in terms of what he brings to your offense and what he allows you to do. Yeah, I think uh, his highlight tape is led off by that sort of a screen pass against Georgia where he just ran past everybody. And if folks remember, Georgia kind of won the national championship a couple of days ago. Good. And <laughs> they were pretty good. And 
Walker not only ran past the guys that were straight up with him, he ran past the guys that had any sort of angle on him. Uh, you mentioned replacing Antoine Green, and I think we've seen um, North Carolina sort of get away from that vertical um, threat that they had with Sam Howe and Daomi Brown and all that. Antoine Green, of course, was available to do it, didn't really stay healthy. Um, we don't really know what Chip Lindsay will do. Um, but like I've said off the air, if, if the passing game is tinkered with too much, there will be some trouble in Chapel Hill given Drake May's ability to handle that portion of the program. Jason, when you look at a guy like Walker, he comes out of high school, goes to West Charlotte, he commits to Central. Um, you know, he's obviously a local kid, a North Carolina kid, goes off to Kent State. Let me ask you the question that I hear from a lot of people is the level of competition. Now, we're talking about um, his ability against Georgia. That's one game. How does the level of competition um, sort of shade, jade, or does it when you're evaluating these guys like Walker? That's actually one of the things that stood out to me about Walker is that, that Kent State actually played both Georgia and Washington. So he had an opportunity to go against two of the best secondaries in the country. I mean, Georgia, they're, they're pretty good and they run pretty well in the secondary you know they they do well for themselves they, they've recruited well in recent years i've heard uh and washington last five or six years has had one of the best secondaries on the west coast and you know they play a lot of good passing offenses out there and and they are well schooled and that's it's big time uh big time football in the secondary there and he scored long touchdowns against both and just ran right by guys one-on-one ran right by guys, you know, had multiple catches and flashed all of the things that you want to see from a receiver at this level and did it against two ranked, you know, top end power five programs. So when, you know, okay, once, you know, maybe an aberration, it's one game against Georgia and, you know, okay, whatever you do it twice. You do it against Washington too. When you're at at a place like Kent state where, if you're that dude there and those, those programs know it, they start doing stuff like bracketing you, right? Like, okay, well, that's the one guy we got to worry about. Georgia bracketed him and he ran right by the bracket <laughs> on another play. And he was just missed. The quarterback just missed him, but it would have been a 90 yard touchdown because he just ran right by both the corner and the safety. So when you got a guy that can do that against that level of competition, and then you see him doing it week in week out against Miami of Ohio against uh, you know, Western Michigan or whatever, then you go, well, that just confirms that it's not just because he's playing against lesser talent. He's able to do this because he's that dude. So yeah, I don't worry too much about the, the, uh, the level of competition with a guy like this. You, I think that the tools are all there and he's been really well-schooled. That's another thing that stood out to me about his, uh, about, about him watching, watching his footage is, I was really impressed by not only him, but by Kent State's other wide receivers in terms of their fundamentals, in terms of how they blocked, in terms of how they ran their routes, in terms of you know fundamentals of how they went after uh, vertical balls going over the outside shoulder, correctly shielding uh, players from that. They, they were really well-schooled. Uh, Matthew Middleton was the wide receivers coach there. He just uh, took a job at uh, USF uh, under, under the new uh, USF coach, but... I was really impressed by how well schooled he's been. He comes in and he's he's not going to have a whole lot of 
remedial work to do to learn how to play the wide receiver position at the North Carolina level. So that's going to be also really helpful. There will be a few things to refine for how they like to do it at Carolina, but he's going to be able to step right in and do that. And I think he's an instant plug-and-play starter on the outside. And you know, if he's not starting, he's at least going to be playing equal minutes with whoever is starting there. Uh, and, and I think that's all stuff that, that makes you feel really good about this take. He's about as good uh, of a prospect on the outside, in my opinion, as there is in the country. I mean, there are a few others you look at the uh, – the love it the guy from missouri who is going to georgia you know rated a little bit higher on the in the transfer rankings and all of that but when you compare these guys i don't think walker is any worse a prospect than say love it who's ranked as the top wide receiver transfer prospect in the country high praise there Devontae walker 63192 uh you know his stats speak for him themselves we talked about McCollum in the last one of these we did, and if folks haven't seen that one, go check it out. And also check out Jason's film breakdown on Inside Carolina Premium for that one and for Devontae Walker. But, Jason, the wide receiver room. Downs and, and Green were out earlier in the year. Carolina fared well with Kobe Pesor, and J.J. Jones had some nice plays, and Gavin Blackwell had some nice plays. But with, John, with uh, Green and Downs leaving, and to add these guys, I mean, it feels like, and we'll see how it plays out, but it feels like they really struck gold on um, getting some bodies in that wide receiver room out of the portal, which Mac always talked about. He doesn't want, uh, you know, he wants starters. Well, these both these guys certainly potential to start and maybe will start. Yeah, and again, you only have five guys returning on the roster on, on scholarship that are, you know, set to play. So – you need to have usually the rule is you want eight wide receivers for you know modern offense that you feel comfortable with and you know with the with the tight end position as as versatile as it is that gives you a little wiggle room there but you need eight and you need eight to to rotate regularly well with the, with the seven that they've got there's not a there's not a bum in that group so you know you feel really good about those guys rotating and and playing a lot of minutes and 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 uh, a lot of reps so. Yeah, I think you you feel real good about that. The one thing, by the way, the one negative that I did find in uh, about about Walker, and this is the thing that he's going to have to continue to work on, is he did have seven drops this last year. So 58, uh, 58 catches, and he had seven drops. Is a drop percentage of about ten point eight percent. So dropped about one in ten of the targets that he had toward him, and he only caught four of the fourteen contested catch opportunities that he had. So he's going to have to get better. This is where the, the the level of competition thing is going to matter a little bit. He's going to have to get better when he's tightly covered and he's in competitive catch situations of making sure he comes down with those. By comparison, Antoine Green this year uh, had a drop percentage of 6.5% with three drops, and he caught uh, 50% instead of, uh, instead of 28% of his contested catch opportunities. I think Walker has the chance to bump up to be as good as as green was in those categories this this last year because he flashed the soft natural hands to be able to catch on the move with his hands and not letting the ball to his body and all of that but there's still some development left there you add though him to that larger room and the thing is he has a clear role he's your diami brown your uh, from a couple of years ago your uh your uh, green from this last year he's the guy that you can use to stretch the field with that speed and then you can let McCollum do some of his stuff from the slot and then that gives you 
some opportunities for that other, that third guy, who's not necessarily your third guy, but for that guy to be a uh, more complete wide receiver who does a lot of those things. I think Andre Green has a chance to be that guy this year. Obviously, J.J. Jones uh, played, you know, in that role this last year. Uh, Pesor and Black Blackwell are going to have a lot to do there. This is a really good group of wide receivers, and all bring they all bring something to the table. They all have uh, good athleticism and, and can get open. So again, the main thing is you've just got to make sure you have good targets for for Drake May. And I think this group now with these two additions, you feel pretty good about going into the next season that you've got enough weapons for May to be able to do what he needs to do. Yeah, we haven't even talked about on these spotlights, the high school guys that are coming in. So North Carolina gets two proven guys, Kent State, Tez Walker, Devon Tez Walker, and Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech, uh, proven on the college level in addition to the high school guys that are coming in early, in addition to the room that's already there, Drake May will have a nice set of receivers to find. And if Drake May does Drake May things, every one of them will get an opportunity um, nearly every game. That's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. This has been Transfer Spotlight. Devontae Walker, wide receiver, and now offensive lineman Willie Lampkin out of Coastal. Six foot, 275, I think Max said on Monday about 285. Jason, offensive line is a need for North Carolina. Awesome Richards moving on to the NFL. Ed Montalus moving on. They've got some bodies there. Uh, we really don't know what they have player-wise simply because they do not play more than five ever at North Carolina on offensive line, which is a common theme in college. But Willie Lampkin, what's he bring? Well, the biggest thing is that you're you're dealing with someone who can come in and play multiple positions on the interior. So he's played both center and guard. And the the thing that and we saw this a couple of years ago, the thing that will kill an offense faster than anything else is not having someone who can reliably snap the ball and and block on that at that interior spot. They ran into that a couple of years ago where basically all their centers got hurt. And they, they struggled. They had all the pieces around that on offense, but they had a hard time because if you can't, if you can't hold your water on the, on the interior straight up the a gap, you're going to have a hard time throwing the football. You're going to have a hard time running the football. And really all you got left is punting the football. So first of all, you've got to have that position shored up with reasonable depth. You got to have two, three guys on your roster that you can count on to snap the ball and be able to block somebody. Uh, and so in that sense, he's really important insurance for if Corey Gaynor goes down, for example, I think Gaynor has proved, uh, has proven himself as a quality center and you're probably going to keep him at that spot because of that. But if something happens there, you, who, who goes in and after him, I mean, Anderson's moving on. You don't have another guy in that spot. You've got to have a reliable body there. When you go and you look at Lampkin, he was he was pretty good as a uh, as a center this last year. So you feel like you've at least got replacement level or better at the center spot if you end up having something happen there. So that's number one. Number two is he actually played guard the year before and was a pretty good guard. So now you've got somebody who can be kind of that swing player that can plug in wherever he's going to be best. And if he's one of your best five, then he plays either guard or center, wherever that is most likely with Gainer back, you put him at one of the guards and now you've got, he's one of your best five. If he's not one of your best five, 
then he's a guy that rotates in at one of the guard spots or at center. If, if, you know, the center position is dinged up or needs a blow, he can go in and make sure that he, that, that there's not a big drop off there. So this is a really valuable type of pickup for Carolina, just because of the position flexibility that he brings. Yeah, and he's got two years of eligibility left. Um, he's got some nastiness in him. If you watched him in the bowl game, um, he, he's not afraid to put somebody on their back, maybe a little extra on the end. Um, he's got that wrestler in him, and I think that's always good, for, especially for linemen. As he's 47-0 as a senior in high school, as a wrestler, um, you know, 47-0 and in anything is tough to do. And he was able to do that. He's won all the awards in the Sun Belt for, for linemen. He, he a freshman All-American, all that stuff, 38 games. North Carolina has some pretty good tape to watch against him because they played Georgia State and, and those offense – or, the, excuse me, those defensive linemen that gave North Carolina trouble um, in that Georgia State game. But, Jason, I must ask, and this is the one thing that will come up forever with Lampkin, is he's six feet tall and he's 275, 285 maybe now. Um, we'll see what North Carolina tries to get him to weight-wise um, as he's come in on January 9th and be ready for spring practice. But he's six feet tall, and that is short and small for P5 high-level college football. Yeah, that that's really the downside. That's the thing you you concern yourself. That's the thing you're, you're worried about when you bring in this kind of player. Uh, the one thing there, – there are a few things about this that, that you can kind of get into there – uh, one thing you mentioned the, the wrestling thing when I, when I popped in the, you know, what I had of him and I started taking a look and going, you know, what do I think of him? The first thing that came to my mind is this guy had to have wrestled. <laughs> <laughs> so it, that's so obvious on the, on the tape. And so I immediately went to Google and was like, all right, you know, Willie Lampkin wrestling. And then I see, yep. Okay. 47 and 0 as a senior one of, you know, the two, a state title in high school, uh, in, in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. So number one, you're getting the toughness from that. But the other thing that, that, that I love about getting, especially interior offensive linemen with wrestling, with the wrestling background is they understand how to anchor and understand hand placement and leverage in ways that even if a guy's a little longer or a little bigger, they can oftentimes mitigate that with the things that you learn as a wrestler in terms of how to use your body and, and all of that. So that's one thing is that that, that kind of helps in that respect. And the other thing is that for an offensive lineman, height matters. You know, six, six foot is, is short. Height matters, but height matters less than length. What you really look for is not so much how tall a guy is, but how long are his arms. So if he's got longer arms for his height, then it really doesn't matter very much. It actually can be an advantage because what you want is somebody that, that the advantage of being longer on the offensive line is that the defensive lineman can't get his hands on you to move you around or to, to knock you down knock you one way or the other and control you with his hands because you can actually get your hands to him. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a game of, of getting extension and, and, uh, and winning in that way. Guy with shorter arms isn't ever able to really get his hands on a defensive lineman, a longer defensive lineman to be able to control him. So that's really what you're dealing with. And the reason that you value taller offensive linemen is for that. So if you get a guy that's 6'2 with, you know, 6'9 wingspan, that's actually in a lot of ways better than a guy that's, you know, 6'6 because you're, you're getting somebody that has natural lower leverage, lower center of gravity with the advantage of the length. So this is something that if I were Carolina 
and I brought him on campus for his official visit, the first thing I'd be doing is measuring his arms. Hmm. And I don't, you know, I expect that they did that. I mean, knowing, knowing uh, Randy, that's something he's going to have done. He's going to have, you know, checked out hand size and arm length just to determine whether or not, like, is this guy a little bit too stubby to, to, to do what I want him to do. So this is where I actually don't know the, the measurements there. I suspect that if he was an immediate take for Randy, then he's, he's determined that he's long enough through the arms to be able to, to do what he needs to do in that role. So, so yeah, that's, that's the thing. Now at, you, you mentioned, you wonder what, what weight they'll, they'll want him to play at looking at him just the eye test. I'm not sure there's a whole lot more weight you can really comfortably add to his frame. So, you know, maybe he gets to 290 and you play him there and yeah, that's light. You know, that's, that's not, that's not what they've had on the interior. You know, they, they were three, what, 350 on the interior a couple of years ago. Oh. Um, but what you do at that point is you, you have to have him make up for that as much as he can with quality positioning. And he is really quick footed. That's the thing. That's one of the things that stood out for me uh, when I watched him is you could watch him snap the ball and then pull. They actually at coastal, they used him as a puller from the center position. And if you can pull your center, that means he's an athlete. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of, a lot of centers just can't pull. They're just not quick enough. He could pull and he pulled with success and he got to the second level with success. Uh, so the foot quickness and the ability to move on the interior really helps. And if you can get into good position, then sometimes you can mitigate a little bit of that disadvantage in terms of weight and bulk and strength. Uh, and the other thing is that I, I think he does a really good job of sinking his hips and anchoring through a strong lower body so that that helps but i don't think that this is going to be a guy that's going to be able to drive you back and you know just mash you on the goal line you know that that kind of offensive guard or center that's going to you know just physically whip you and and be able to do that i don't think that's what you're getting here i think you're getting a guy that can win some matchups and anchor well enough but is not going to physically dominate you know some of the better defensive defensive tackles in the acc so you know i think at this point Excellent depth, an important swing player. Uh, if nothing else, he may well be the starter at center in 2024. And again, at center, a 290-pound center who can move and play with great positioning is a, is a really good player. I mean, you see guys in the NFL at 295 sometimes at center because, again, being able to move at that position is so important. And as long as he can sink his hips and anchor, then he'll be, he'll be fine there. At guard, it might be a little bit light, but again, he may well with those movement skills and, and the fundamentals and the ability to, uh, to anchor that he's shown and, and the, the foot quickness and, and how good he is as a puller and his ability to get to the second level, he may wind up being one of the best guards on the team and may wind up a starter. He'll compete for it. I think best case scenario uh, is actually that he winds up being a swing backup at center and guard this year and then probably a starter in 2024. That's your best case. Uh, because that would mean that one of the younger guys who's a little bigger wins that that guard position, and then he just steps in and naturally takes over the center job next year. Yeah, uh, and I mentioned the nastiness earlier. He's got it. Uh, Matt Brown said this when, when talking about Willie Lampkin. He's going to make someone in that offensive line room work really hard to keep their job. 
and that's what North Carolina needs, especially in the trenches. They need nastiness, and they need guys that play with good fundamentals. We've seen all along that doesn't matter how big you are, you don't <laughs> play with fundamentals, you're going to get whipped by somebody that's got them um, if you don't. That's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Willie Lampkin, offensive line, six foot two seventy five, two eighty five, out of Coastal. Coastal's been pretty good. Lampkin was the leader of that offensive line for the past three years. He is now with Randy Clements and North Carolina in the offensive line room. Welcome in to another special Inside Carolina um, transfer spotlight. Not sure what we're calling these. Expert analysis. Jason Staples joining me. I'm Tommy Ashley. Certainly Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com as always. Derek Allen, transfer spotlight today, Jason, another member of North Carolina's now growing transfer class. Antavius Lane added earlier in the week or over the weekend, so we will get to him um, probably first part of next week in one of these. But Derek Allen comes to Carolina from Georgia Tech and Notre Dame, a, a fairly highly recruited player out of high school, Marietta, Georgia. Um, got to Notre Dame, didn't stick, ended up at Georgia Tech and now at North Carolina to play alongside Marcus Allen, his younger brother. Jason, overall, what does Derek Allen, a three-year secondary veteran at Georgia Tech, but also he has one year remaining, what's he bring to this this defensive backfield led by Charlton Warren? I think the biggest thing is that he's a guy that has a lot of experience and good instincts with a big body that has uh, been able to fill and be a reliable player at the safety position for, for more than one program. Uh, he's not a flashy, splashy type guy, but he's, he's been a consistently good player. Uh, you look at what he was able to do at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech got better in the secondary when he was on the field at, 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 uh, in the secondary, partly because their communication improved with him on the field. You could see that in there, there were a couple games where he played more and they, they had fewer busts overall. And I think that's partly because of the leadership that he provided back there. And he also is a good center fielder. He's got, you know, pretty good range back there. Not, not elite speed, but, but good enough speed to be a, 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 uh, a solid option as someone who can, uh, who can sort of be an eraser back there against, uh, against passing attacks when you ask him to play in that, that center field role. Yeah, out of high school, 69-ranked overall player nationally, number seven safety nationally um, from Georgia by 24-7 sports. So it's so pretty high up the food chain. Goes to Notre Dame, red shirts as a true freshman in 2019. Gets to Georgia Tech, that's your COVID year. Played nine games as a reserve there. Uh, and then 21, this COVID stuff, man. Uh, 21 is a red shirt freshman again. And then 22 played for Georgia Tech. Uh, I recall his name being called against North Carolina, and certainly Georgia Tech has North Carolina's number at least the last two years. It, as far as fit for North Carolina, uh, of course, Dre Bly no longer back there, but Charlton Warren has the safeties anyway and the defensive backfield anyway. Uh, how does he fit in, in with what North Carolina has currently and also with the guys they've got coming in, because Lane is another safety from Georgia State that will be added to the room as well. Yeah, I think the main thing is that they're trying to find reliable stability back there. They had too many busts from the safety spot last year, where teams, I think, felt like at times, and justifiably so, that if they got 
if if they could just get a receiver in a matchup where a safety was responsible for that receiver, then that was advantage offense. And North Carolina is just trying to put some bodies back there where that's not going to be the case every time. And Allen is one of those guys that I think gives you some some possibility there. Uh, and and actually, it's interesting. You know, I'm lo- I've, I've looked through his Pro Football Focus grades. And, you know, he's basically average in 2020. He was well below average. I mean, just not good at all in, uh, in 2021. Didn't actually play a ton of games in 21. Again, all the COVID stuff and weird things coming out of, out of COVID. And then in, 20, and then in 22, he actually was, was above replacement level. He was a good player uh, and would have been as good or better than any of the starters at Carolina based on how he graded out there. And the thing that sticks out to me most in terms of what he, what he, what he, what he showed in terms of pro football focus grades. And also what I see when I, when I turn on the tape and I see a little of him is he was a reliable tackler. So, I mean, he had one missed tackle on the season. Mm. So, and his tackling grade from pro football focus was an 88.3, which is excellent. So, you know, you, you see him, you see 6'2", 212. He's a big body. He, you know, has a good wingspan at that 6'2", and is not afraid, not afraid to throw his body in there. And I think one thing that, that he does offer you that is, has also been a problem for Carolina for a couple of years is a guy that was reliable in run fits and a guy that that when someone is breaking free you want your safety to be a reliable tackler he'd better be able to get guys on the ground or if your safety can't tackle then you're you know you're adding more points to the scoreboard and i think that's basically what what we're looking at here in terms of uh of adding adding allen to the um to the mix is they're basically trying to add someone who has proven that he can play at the acc level at at or above replacement level uh, who has good enough speed to be a reliable center fielder, sort of off ball defender. He's not someone you really want to be doing a ton of one-on-one coverage. He's not, you know, cornerback type body, but as a boundary safety, he's a guy that you can put on the field and feel like you're going to, you're going to have someone who's reliably going to be that last line of defense and is not going to give up a ton of bad plays and you know, if they can get that out of him, then that already is is an improvement on what they've got in the last couple of years there. Absolutely. One missed tackle on a season, sign him up <laughs> if you're North Carolina, and certainly him coming to Carolina. And I'll ask this question as we move forward with a couple of these guys over the next couple of days, but I'm going to ask you, what is the difference when you see guys coming from P5 to P5? We've talked about a couple of guys that are moving up a level um, Nate McCollum, Georgia Tech, P5 to P5, but Walker and Lampkin, um, you know, G5, whatever to P5. Is there a difference? Do you see a difference in the type player? Is it a physical thing? It, what are the pros for North Carolina getting guys from a from a program like Georgia Tech? So it's a really good question because I think I think it can actually be it's a little complicated because when you're getting a guy that's moving up a level, it's usually because that guy felt like he was, or in just some cases was just obviously better than the level of play that he was playing at. So someone who's just been dominant at that lower level. 
So you think about someone like Jared Verse, uh, who transferred from Albany to Florida State last year and then was immediately one of the best athletes on that team. Well, you know, he's playing at at Albany (laughs) and is just so dominant. And so obviously physically superior that you you get some sense of what you're getting. And usually those guys have played like one power five game or two power five games where you see like, okay, that guy can compete at that level. So what you're getting in those cases is usually somebody that's a little bit more raw is going to have to get used to the day in day out grind of playing power five football where there's just, it's the physical toll is, is bigger, but oftentimes you're getting more of a, of a raw athlete who can, who you expect to be an athletic upgrade on what you have with power five to power five. Sometimes it's that, right? Sometimes it's, it's that a guy is at a power five program and he just thinks that if he goes to the, to the other program, it's, it's going to be a better fit or whatever, but he was already dominant and, you know, and so on. But normally when a guy is, is that dominant at a power five program, he's going to the NFL. So with power five, the power five transfers, what you're normally getting is someone who is, who either ha- has felt like there's sort of a mismatch in terms of skills or fit with where he's at, uh, or is dissatisfied with the overall culture or coaching of the program that he's at, uh, or just feels like another place is going to be, is going to showcase his talents better for some reason and wants to transfer over and is probably not at this point a prospect to get drafted in a position that would make it that would that would make it worthwhile to leave early so that's sort of what you're getting you're usually getting guys that are that are that were not superstars at their prior place in the power five and but they have the day in day out experience and they're looking for a place where they can contribute a little bit more consistently and, and have a better overall experience. So that actually makes evaluating power five to power five transfers, I think more difficult in a lot of ways. So you think about a Derek Allen or an Omari Gaynor, I think is maybe a better example of this. And we'll talk about him in another, in another breakdown, but you're looking at guys where you, you go, okay. So as a, as a, you know, in a second year at Georgia tech, not good. Or, uh, and, and, and then you say, but, you know, is he really better than what, what our other options are? Or is, you know, is the fact that he wasn't a superstar there, does that mean that like, he's just going to be just a guy here or are there enough traits that I see and enough physical attributes and enough things that pop out on tape to tell me that in my system, he's going to be better than in their system. He's going to be a better fit here. We think that with what we do or what we're going to ask him to do, or with what we're going to put around him, this guy's going to be better than what he was before. That's, that's what you're trying to do in evaluating power five to power five. And then what you can trust is, okay, this is a guy who's been through this grind and I, I know at least where my floor is going to be. And that, I think, is the other difference. With a FCS or, or you know, even G5, the P5 guy, there's usually more ceiling, right? Because you're looking at this guy and you're like, oh, man, look how, look how physically advanced he is compared to all the other guys that he's playing on tape. 
And then you go, yeah, but like, what happens if, you know, week in, week out, he starts to wear down or what happened? Like, can I expect this at this level? With a guy like Derek Allen, you look at what he did at Georgia Tech and you're like, that's probably my floor. Mm-hmm. Right? So, you know, 61.6 overall defensive grade. That's pretty good, right? That's not bad. But it's not elite either. But if that's your floor, then you feel real good about that. Something to so work you, with. Yeah, you go, okay, I've raised the floor of my room. If I get no better than what he was at Georgia Tech, I've got a guy that can play at the ACC level and be a reliable player. I feel good about that. And if he's better than that, now I'm looking at a guy that's actually playing at well above average in the conference. Well, that then there's very little lost at that point. So this is where if you're getting productive players who've been productive at the power five level, you know where the floor is and then you can kind of project ceiling from there. The, the danger in taking P five guys is what happens when you take the sort of promising power five guy from another program who just couldn't quite get it together. And then you hope that he can get it together in your program. Maybe the kid just wasn't, maybe he was, maybe, maybe he's just a misevaluation. Maybe he's just not as good. And so in that case, you just totally whiff, right? In that case, you're not raising your floor and you're actually losing out on ceiling too. So this is what makes evaluating these guys really hard from a coaching perspective. If you're Mac Brown, the benefit with Derek Allen, obviously he's got a brother on the team, you know, in terms of both genetics, right? I mean, that, that gives you some indication of, you know, well, brothers are usually pretty close athletically. And then secondly, in terms of culture and fit, is this guy going to fit in our program? We already have a pretty good idea of that. So now you take that season at Georgia Tech where he was a good player and he was a good player against you playing again, playing for Georgia Tech. So you know, he, he graded out well, uh, you know, had uh, two tackles and uh, was overall okay in, in coverage in that game. And you say, okay, well, I know what the floor is then. And I know he's a uh, he's a cultural fit, and I know this is an, an area of need where I need to raise the floor in my room. That's an obvious take. Derek Allen, six two two twelve out of Georgia Tech, will have one year of eligibility at North Carolina. Joins his brother Marcus in the in the defensive backfield. That'd be pretty cool. Brothers playing next to each other. North Carolina played Boston College earlier this week in basketball. Had brothers out there playing against Carolina on the floor. They'll have brothers playing together in the secondary in 2023. Welcome into another edition of Transfer Spotlight Expert Analysis. I'm Tommy Ashley. That's Jason Staples. Today we talk defensive back Armani Chapman. And if the name sounds familiar, it should, as did the thumbnail that led the show. Virginia Tech, five-year veteran of Virginia Tech. Jason, we've talked about COVID in the past. 2018, played two games before he redshirted. 2019, played all 13 games. 2020, 10 games. 2021, 13 games. And 2022, last season for Virginia Tech, played 10 games, started 10 games at cornerback. What does he bring to North Carolina um, and Mac Brown and Charlton Warren and everybody on the defensive side? Certainly, he is a very familiar player for this staff for this fan base if you follow opponents closely. Yeah, what you're getting is is someone, like you said, who's very familiar uh, and who has been a good cornerback against you for multiple years. So 
yeah, that uh, you, you feel pretty good about that in general. Uh, at 5'11", 208, he's sort of a prototype for your boundary corner at this level. Uh, you know, maybe a prototype if he was an inch or two taller, but that, that kind of thickness guy that, that is, on my evaluation, a true press corner. That's really what he is. He's a guy that you feel comfortable sticking on an island and saying, look, it's you and him. And one of you, one of you is going to hang your head after this play. <laughs> that's what he does. And that's what he's, he's done well for Virginia tech. He's gotten beat some, but he's won more than he's lost in that role. Uh, and he's physical and he can handle his business as a, as a run fit out of that boundary corner as well. So uh, you're looking at, I think a, a, an overall good take with a very, very high floor. This is a high floor take that you feel like can be, if not a starter, I think you project him as a, as a starter next year at corner. But if he doesn't win a starting job, then he pushed someone to be better than they were last year. He's raised the floor of the room and, and someone that I think you feel, you feel good about as a, as a guy who can win some one-on-ones on the edge. Yeah, you mentioned pushing somebody. I, I remember Mac Brown talked about Willie Lampkin, who we profiled last week. He said he's going to make somebody in that offensive line room work really hard to keep their job. I think Armani Chapman's the same type guy. A lot of people want to bang on Virginia Tech, um, but they've usually been pretty good on defense over the years. And Chapman comes from that program. Um, we've mentioned PFF grades and high floors and all that. Sort of give uh, folks listening to this a, a feel for like a pl- not a player comp, but like what what is North Carolina getting that may be familiar as for as far as performance from a guy like Chapman? Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because you know when I was looking through these, one of the things I'm doing is I'm I'm comparing. Okay, well what 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 grades did this guy get from Pro, Pro Football Focus? which again, you have to take those grades with a, a little bit of, uh, of salt. But what, what grades did this guy get that they're bringing in compared to who was in that role last year that they're replacing? And in a couple cases, you're looking at replacing a guy who's leaving with the new guy, and you go, okay, well, what, what's the comparison? Well, last year, Chapman's overall pro football focus grade was a 63.1. Tony Grimes outgoing was 63.3 so basically a wash now one place where chapman was way better was in tackling which should not surprise anybody um and grimes was overall just a little bit better in coverage uh but chapman was more reliable in run defense and in tackling and Chapman was a little bit better on the coverage side. Now, in 2021, Chapman put up a better overall pro football focus season than Grimes ever did at North Carolina. There, he was a 68.7 overall, and his coverage grade was a 68.3, which is in line. The coverage grade is in line with uh, with Grimes' coverage grade his freshman year at 68.9, which was you know in more limited limited reps there. And Chapman did it over the course of an entire season. So essentially what you feel like you're getting with Chapman is a guy who, in terms of overall level of play, in terms of tier, the floor is basically what you got from Tony Grimes last year. That's your floor. You expect better than that. And you expect him to be more reliable as a run defender in those situations. And I do think he's an intriguing guy to potentially bump inside against certain teams 
as a as a nickel option because of how physical he is against some teams he may actually be somebody that you could do that with not sure that's what they'll do but it's worth if i'm if i'm coaching on defense that's something i kind of experiment with because i thought that there were times last year where you know boykins is a good player but there were there were some times where teams with really fast slots and 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 you know more wide open offenses wanted to attack him because he's a little bit more of a linebacker hybrid than a corner hybrid and it might it may be good to have some options at times to put a corner hybrid out there a little bigger bodied corner in that role in that space might be something that they may think about doing this year so you can put three true corners on the field at times uh, a little bit more often so that may be something they do if if so he's a guy that can do that but to me what you're really getting you're getting a guy that that gives you that high floor that essentially makes sure that your corner position is not going to be a major weakness and then a guy that has the potential to be significantly better than that floor so you know i think the physicality speaks well uh i think the one thing that sticks out on 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 the film is that he is well coached he has good technique as a, as a press corner and as a corner overall he understands zones. He walls off against the against downfield, you know, deep throws well. Uh, I did think that there were times where, you know, there were room, there was room for improvement. That if they get some of those things rectified, he could be better. I thought he he looked like he maybe a little bit over bulked up at uh, at Virginia Tech. Maybe somebody that's a candidate to uh, to do a little bit more work in the off season to to get at optimal overall body size and shape there uh i think he is he's not the not a not the fastest long speed guy so you know if he doesn't wall you just right or if you're able to get him on a double move he's probably not going to recover as much as some some guys would but he's very very bursty and anything you want him to do in that short area uh some of the things that stood out he made some plays on slants and and some of those short routes where you have to be really quick to be able to get into some of the passing lanes that he did and doing that at 200 plus pounds tells me that there's a pretty good overall ceiling there for him to be a good player and to be somebody that upgrades that position overall. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the sort of comparison or, or not comparison to Grimes, but the the level of play there. And of course, Tony Grimes transferred Texas A&M, Storm Duck transferred out, a couple other guys transferred out. Carolina defensive back room thin. So Chapman adds it in there. Of course, Eliza Hussey, who we'll talk about tomorrow, and Antavis Lane to go along with Derek Allen. They've sort of replenished there. Jason, same question I ask you um, with, a, with a slight difference. You talked about in the Tez Walker um, thing analysis specifically about coaching and well-schooled and well-coached. When we talk about the P5 level and the P5 to P5, are we seeing those same type characteristics with a guy like Chapman coming to North Carolina that maybe you saw with Walker coming from Kent State? As far as the coaching they've received, obviously coaching staffs have their issues, but here in these cases, is North Carolina getting what they need as far as a player that's been coached up, coached properly, proper technique, and all that good stuff? I think so, and I think part of this, you mentioned it early, early on, Virginia Tech has a, has had a long tradition of being a good 
not only not only putting out good defenses, but being a very well coached and very physical secondary. And you know, he's <laughs> this guy's played a lot of football. I mean, he got to Virginia Tech in 2018, so he's been through more than one staff there, right? What's that? That's three staffs that he's been under at Virginia Tech, and at least two of them you feel really good about the the overall defensive back coaching that he got. I mean, early on, you feel good about like, he, he's had some quality defensive back coaches working with him there and you can see it on the tape. I mean, the overall technique, especially in press where his, uh, his the, the hand placement, the uh, ability to mirror with the feet, just the way he does that and how he walls off some of those things. He, he does a lot of those things well. There are times where, you know, he gets caught chasing at times. Actually, Carolina this last year took advantage of some over-aggressiveness on him. So they ran a mesh concept where they're running his man opposite the uh, to the opposite side on a shallow cross and bringing a shallow cross underneath. And he's got to come off his man to t- take over the, the shallow that's coming to, to where he's at in sort of a matchup man, it's a matchup zone situation and he just didn't come off quickly enough and you know Kamari uh, uh, Morales just walks into the end zone that's the sort of thing that's the sort of mistake that you see him make and that's something that is a little bit of of being schooled in terms of some of that match coverage uh, concept and he can still get better there but you also see him making some plays in those situations where he does come off the man correctly and make an or make an interception or a pass breakup uh, and like I said, it's the one-on-one stuff. It's the the footwork, the hand placement, those things that that show that he's a guy with experience who's been coached well. So yeah, I think they're getting a guy that you don't feel like you have to rebuild when he gets there. There are things that, that can be improved, but I think you 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 kind of are getting a finished product in terms of the the overall fundamentals of the position. You mentioned something early on, and and we'll just sort of linger it out there. You mentioned he's good in press coverage. I know North Carolina football fans that have listened to these heard that and say, will he play it when he's at North Carolina next year? <laughs> we shall see how that shakes out. One That's- last thing, by the way, I can, if you want to compare his, his numbers to storm duck, his numbers in 2021 are pretty close to the same numbers that storm duck put up this year. So in terms of pro football focus grades and, you know, where he was strong and where he had some weaknesses and so on last year, his numbers for Virginia tech last year on 525 snaps was uh, uh, those numbers were basically the same across the board of what you got from storm duck this year. So that again, tells you kind of where you're, where you're at. A little better grades than Tony Grimes, similar to storm duck. North Carolina replacing some starting defensive backs with some starters. Armani Chapman, Virginia Tech. Today, it's Elijah Huzzy, East Tennessee State transfer. Two years of eligibility left um, for his time at North Carolina. He is enrolled, started classes January 9th, so he'll be available for spring practice and available to start working his way up the depth chart. Jason Staples, your overall thoughts on Mr. Huzzy? I I think North Carolina's got a good one here. Instant upgrade. That's it. <laughs> and that is and and that is music to people's ears that are watching this and have watched North Carolina football the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I 
you turn on what, what he was able to do at East Tennessee State, and, you know, he he jumps off the screen. Uh, a lot of the tools that you look for in a top-level corner are just right there. He's got the ex- extremely quick feet, uh, accelerates without any effort, has what I think is is good long speed. I don't know. I, I wouldn't classify him as elite long speed, but I think he's a sub four five guy, probably not a guy that's going to get run away from a bunch. And he plays with a lot of confidence because of that speed. He knows he's not going to get run by, uh, but he also plays. He's so quick in driving on the football underneath that he's able to play over top and still challenge stuff underneath when he's in single coverage against a guy. Uh, very fluid hips. Uh, a few a few clips that I was I was looking at. He's already flipped to to be able to to run deep with a guy. Guys challenged him in terms of a vertical release, and then he sees the underneath breaking route, and without any wasted movement, just sticks one foot in the ground, transitions, hips open, and he's driving downhill, and he's getting there before the ball does. He he reminds me actually of some of the guys that from like FCS that the that the Patriots have have gotten that corner over the years where you see those traits you see the ability to to transition and to run and do all of those things and you know the Patriots would be like well that guy that guy can do everything we want let's let's roll the dice with him and see if he can play at this at the NFL level and then those guys end up sometimes being all pros. Uh, he reminds me of that kind of of player where, you know, you'd like him to be just a little taller, maybe a little longer, but all of the movement skills and the uh, the fluidity that you want from a corner are there and just so sound in terms of what he does. The other thing that really stands out is he's really, really smart and re- reacts, understands route concepts and all of that and reacts quickly so he'll be on a, on a guy that's his responsibility and then recognize like, oh, I got to pass him off and transition to a new responsibility. And he does it so quickly that it's just really seamless and fluid. And you put that together with a guy that can that that can accelerate, that can open his hips and that has really good ball skills. And he uh, parlayed that into into creation, creating some turnovers for East Tennessee State when he was there. Uh, I think he's an immediate starter at North Carolina at corner. He's a guy that actually is intriguing as an option to move inside. If you want a guy that can be a lockdown slot corner against a, a quicker wide receiver, uh, you know, kind of along the, uh, you remember Arenas from, from, uh, from uh, Alabama a few years ago. He, he's that kind of, of quick player that can that can play that slot can also play on the outside he's a little bigger than arenas was but he's that kind of player and i i think he's got a chance of being uh an all acc type guy i think he's got a chance with the with the kind of season i think he might have of becoming a draft pick from north carolina he, he's got the tools it's just a matter of being able to prove week in week out that he can do it against acc level and above competition yeah, that's one thing. He's got two years of eligibility remaining. And with all these transfers, uh, the ones that have extra or more than one year, they're looking to go to the league. Uh, they, and if they if they play well enough for North Carolina, 
to not use that final year of eligibility, then North Carolina has scored massively in the transfer portal. So Huzzy looks there. And look, his numbers speak for himself. You spoke to the, the, to the intelligence side of it. He's been Southern Conference on a roll academically his entire time there. Didn't do much in 19. And then 2021 was, was the COVID year, but he broke out really in 21. Jason, he's had 179 tackles in his career, 12 interceptions and 30 pass breakups. <laughs> um, you know, without looking at the stats for North Carolina, I would wager that that is by far the best numbers in the career uh, on the roster at the current time. What else? You mentioned sliding inside and covering those slot guys. And we talked about it with Armani Chapman as a possibility. That's been an issue for North Carolina for the past couple of years. Now they have two guys, um, especially with Huzzy's addition, that can accomplish that. And that, that shores up that aspect of the defense that's been – quite frankly, a, a death blow nearly every game for Carolina. Yeah, yeah. And I think with Huzzy, the other thing, and really where I would probably want to use him is doing a lot more, just put him one-on-one -on -one with a guy and feel like you can take take that guy away. I mean, a true lockdown potential. I, I would be testing some of that out this this spring. What happens if I, if I put him one-on-one -on -one with this guy out here and I rotate my safeties a little bit at the snap and just trust that this guy's not going to get beat bad. And, you know, that can change your defense. Now, again, we'll see wh whether he can do that against some of the competition that he's going to have this year. But, you know, I think a guy that can, that can do what he does on the outside and, and basically take away an outside receiver changes you as a defense. That's what they were hoping they had in Grimes. I mean, that's what they, when they signed Grimes, that's what they hoped he would become. And he never really became that guy. I think Huzzy might actually become the guy that they hoped Grimes would become. Uh, I think he's got the, the capacity to do that. Again, a little bit smaller. So a, a few of the bigger wide receivers, you know, six three, six four guys, they may give him a little more trouble uh, in terms of, you know, some of those single coverage, single coverage one-on-ones, you know, on some verticals and all of that. But there were some cases at, at, at East Tennessee where he did, he, he handled his business there and he handled, uh, he handled some, some bigger guys. You could see that they're, you know, six, two plus guys and he just played them over the top and was in such good position. It didn't matter. But yeah, you mentioned the stats and I hadn't even looked at the stats until after I'd done my, uh, my video evaluation of him and was really positive about what I saw there. And then I looked at the stats and was like, oh, yeah, well, that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know why teams <laughs> threw at him at all. Because you look at the, the 2022 pro football focus grades for him, his coverage grade is an 87.7. Good gracious. That's higher than I yeah. thought it would be. And that's... Yeah. Yeah. And that's that matches... I mean, that matches the eye test for me. So, I mean... Just to put it in perspective, Drake May on the year, his offensive grade was a 91.5, right? His passing grade, 90.8. That's within shouting distance of Drake May in terms of overall grade for your position. Josh Downs on the year. So his, his pro football focus grade on the year, 
was an 82.8 and his grade as a, as a, in, in the passing game as a pass catcher is an 86.5. So think about that. Huzzy last year, now lower level of competition, but Huzzy's grade last year was higher than Josh Downs grade. Yes. That his, it, overall it, grade was, his overall grade was an 85.6. And here, here's where this all comes down to in terms of just the raw numbers. So those are grades based on someone like me watching the film and saying, okay, you know, plus here, plus here, minus here, you know, adjusting for that. The raw grades. He was thrown at 85 times last year. Out of that, he gave up one touchdown, had six INTs, five, 15 passes broken up and uh, gave up a 38.9 NFL passer rating on targets against him. So a definite upgrade. I, I think so. I, I think, again, you're dealing with moving up a level. Sure. Okay. But I think in terms of what he brings to the table, in terms of tools and all of that, I think he will be better. If he stays healthy, he will be better than both Storm Duck and – Grimes were last year. So let me ask you the question here. We, we've talked about Armani Chapman on Friday. Um, we're talking about Elijah Huzzy today. These guys with A's in their first first name starting with A's. We got two more to go. Uh, but Huzzy and Chapman together versus Grimes and Duck together. Your thoughts after reviewing film on both of them. And knowing what you saw with Grimes and Duck, and granted, level of competition, Chapman's is virtually the same, Huzzy's is not, but how has North Carolina done as far as defensive backs in the portal? You know, I think Huzzy projects to me as having a higher ceiling than either of those players coming into this next year. I mean, I like Storm Duck a lot. Everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think Duck, if he can stay healthy and he can get to get back to form – to full form, I think he, he can play in the NFL. Uh, but I don't think last year Duck was in full form until when? I mean, mid-season, maybe? Pittsburgh, I mean, maybe. Yeah, it was it was about the bye week when he when he finally started to look like himself a little bit. And you could sort of see the, the, uh, the increased level of play. And then he didn't play the last couple games, really. So availability is, a, is the most important ability. And that in itself, I think you give the edge to, to those two over, over duck just because of that, because again, you're still dealing with a guy that was not a hundred percent coming off of, you know, in terms of recovering back to what he was as a freshman. So understanding that. Uh, and then of course, Grimes had some other issues in terms of making business decisions and all of that, that I was not a big fan of. I think overall, these two players the floor is about where you had is about what you had last year. So I think with Chapman and Huzzy, if you get what you got from Grimes and Duck last year, I think you're disappointed. So I think that's sort of the sort of your floor. And then I think the ceiling for those guys is is a good bit higher because I think especially because I think Huzzy has a chance of being a guy that by the end of the season is up for some ACC type honors, you know, whether it's, you know, all ACC second team or even maybe first team, 
I think he's a guy that that will be discussed at least as one of the better corners in the ACC. So before we get out of here, and again, you mentioned his size and maybe a little bit of his um, straight line speed or, or long speed, 5'11", 190. He, he's built. Um, I think it'll be interesting, and what's your take on this, to see how Carolina utilizes him in the spring going up against Tez Walker, going up against J.J. Jones, some of the bigger North Carolina receivers to see if he can handle that. Um, how much action does that need to do we need to see or can the coaches glean from spring ball going against fellow teammates now um, to know what they have going into the fall in those type situations? I think you can basically know by the end of spring. You, you, you know, you, you've got a good idea because you got some receivers that are going to be as good as just about anybody he's going to play against next year. And you got Drake may throwing to him. So if if you come out of the spring and those guys are going, man, it is a pain going against that guy. Then, you know, you got a dude. Cause you know, green, I think is a guy that is, is going to be, he's going to have a nice coming out party next year at receiver. And then the two that you mentioned, the two newcomers, you know, when you're looking at uh, McCollum and, and, and Tez Walker and those guys, and then of course, Jones and Pesor and all these guys, those guys were, were productive this year. And if, if you're getting a guy that's consistently competing at or above their level, then you know what you got, you know, going into next year. And then all summer you're starting to, to, cause remember we've talked about this before your game planning for next year has already started January and February. You're already watching film of the teams that are on your schedule and you're putting together preliminary game plans. Once you've got those preliminary game plans, you come out of the spring, you watch their spring games, whatever footage you can. You take a look at what you were able to get out of your spring and you adjust a little bit and you start to, you know, tinker it with what you've got in terms of your scouting reports, your game plans, what you plan to potentially do against them. And then you revise that on the weekend of that game. And then, you know, sort of continue to iterate a little bit on that during the week of preparation for that team. But if you know you've got a lockdown corner coming out of spring, then you can start to tinker a little bit in the, in the summer going, okay, well, we'll probably have to do this. We'll, 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 this'll, this'll be something we can do a little bit more of, but I think you can know with Chapman and, and, uh, and Huzzy. And I think you can know with McCollum and, and Walker, I think you have a pretty good sense by the end of spring where those guys are. The only way that changes is if there's injury. But, you know, if those guys come out of spring healthy, you you basically know where they're going to be in in the pecking order next year. These are not true freshmen that are adjusting to college and you're going, well, you know, let's see what happens over the summer. You know where they're going to be at the end of the spring. Yeah, we've always talked about uh, grown men versus high school players or, or young guys, and Carolina's got a couple of them coming in the defensive backfield and along with Derek Allen and Antavius Lane, who we'll talk about a little bit later in the week. But that's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Defensive back Elijah Huzzy, East Tennessee State, joining Mac Brown, Charlton Warren, and the North Carolina defense. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One that Jason Staples is very familiar with, Amari Gaynor out of Florida State, a five-year veteran at Florida State, started in 2018 and has one year of eligibility at the jack position for Gene Chizik in the North Carolina defense. Jason, tell us what you got. He seems to be maybe prototypical for the Jack position, but your overall thoughts. Yeah, he's not quite prototypical for the Jack because you'd like him to have just a little bit more weight to him for that. Uh, if, if he gained another 10 or 15 pounds, then he'd be prototypical. I mean, if he was just a little bit heavier, and that's got to be something that they're going to be looking at in the offseason. Can you get him from uh, – he, He's pro- I think he's coming in at about 230 do uh, you get him from 230 to 240? And he's played, by the way, as high as 235 at Florida State. I think he got, I think the highest he got down there was was 237. Um, but you know, I think he's in the 230, 230, you know, 232 range right now, somewhere in there. Uh, a little bit more weight would be prototypical, but otherwise, he really does bring a lot to the table that they want at that jack position. He's a guy that, uh, when you put him in a designated pass rush role has a ton of burst. He's an, he is an explosive athlete and he can run. Uh, And then he brings a lot of physicality to the position and, uh, and, you know, he's, he's never, never really going to be a bull rusher, but he's physical still uh, at that, at that weight. And so you want that, you want all of those things, and then you want somebody who can drop and play some pass coverage once in a while to give you some uh, flexibility in terms of, of uh, not being predictable in, in, in your defensive calls. And he's played as an off-ball linebacker. I mean, in 2019, he played mostly Sam linebacker, which is a coverage role most of the time. So, uh, yeah, he had a lot of coverage snaps that year, and – did pretty well there. I mean, back in 2019, you could make the case that he was Florida state's most consistent, maybe best defensive player in 26 in, in 2019. That was as a redshirt freshman. And really his usage has gone down each, each year, 2020 and 2021 were basically about the same number of snaps, but he, he had a lot fewer snaps this year. He got hurt uh, in, in game one and just never really found his way back on the field after that. Uh, they they've significantly upgraded their talent level down there. And, and just in terms of his fit in their defense, he didn't have a natural spot uh, because they've moved more to two true ends in a four man type front most of the time. So he just didn't have a natural fit in that system, which is why he decided to move on for his final year to be, to try to audition for more of a edge type you know, designated pass rush type role for the NFL if he can if he can do it. Yeah, and, and we've talked about before on these shows and on the thing is why guys uh, transfer P five to P five, and this is a Florida State guy. This is a Florida State guy through and through. Tallahassee native, uh, dad played at Florida State. I mean, he is as Florida State as it gets. 
and yet he's up at North Carolina. Just sort of briefly explain to folks, and you sort of went there at the end, guys don't transfer because they're not any good. They transfer for opportunities. And, and like you said, this is a great opportunity for him to, A, help North Carolina's defense um, in a big way because Carolina needs edge rushers. Good gracious, they need edge rushers. But also, to, to your point, audition what he can do and maybe put some more tape out there for the next level. Yeah. Uh, so thinking about this from his perspective, this is a guy that has never put up a, an overall pro football focus score below 70. He's a good player. And he was a good player at Florida state multiple years. His, his pro football focus grade in 2022 is an 82.5. I mean, that's, can't remember what the top on Carolina's defense was last year, uh, but that's toward the top. But the issue for him was, again, more fit. Uh, he he'd kind of bounced around a lot of positions down there. They've been through three coordinators on the defensive side since he arrived at Florida State. And each in each case, he was moved to a, a slightly different spot, a different role, because they needed him on the field. He was one of the best athletes on the team and they needed him on the field, but he was never really asked to do what he was most natural at doing. I mean, when I evaluated him coming out of high school, I evaluated him as put another 10 pounds on him and, you know, make him a designated pass rusher most of the time. And there's your natural role. And he never actually got to play that role at Florida state just because of what the other personnel was. When he first got there, they were running a different, odd front defense and they wound up putting him at the at what they called the star position which is more along the lines of what uh what what you see with the kind of nickel kind of position that North Carolina plays now so I mean he was playing that role and they would bring him off the edge on third down from that role some but he did a lot of pass pass coverage type stuff and then when they changed coordinators he moved to the inside and then you know, was asked to do a lot of things on the inside just because they didn't have any other linebackers. They, they, they whiffed on a bunch of their targets and recruiting and were short on, on linebacker talent. It was like, well, you know, got to find a way to get this guy on the field. So let's put him there. And he, he was kind of a fish out of water there. He's not a guy that you asked to do a lot of read steps and, if, and, you know, make sure that he's checking this gap versus this gap. And he struggled a little bit there. You can, you could see, at times he was just a step or two slow to diagnose. And then he'd wind up having to use that athleticism to chase a guy down, um, you know, who he should have been able to get at a better angle if he'd have been able to diagnose a little quicker. And so that then led to once they got more natural linebackers, he moved down the depth chart at that role. So then this year they tried to, okay, well, let's get you working with more of the edge guys, but then he got hurt and they had other edge guys that were successful. So it just didn't, it didn't pan out for him down there, but it was never a matter of him not being a good player. He was always a good player. He was always a guy that they tried to find ways to get on the field because, you know, he's one of your best 11, but ultimately they, he, there just wasn't a good fit for him in Tallahassee. Whereas I think as the moment he stepped on campus at North Carolina, he's one of the best defensive players on the North Carolina team. He's a guy that can upgrade what North Carolina has to offer on the edge and be, like you said, close to a prototype for what they want in the Jack. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, you look at, let's just go back to the, to the 2019 NC state game, right. Which was a, you know, a solid game for him. 
2019, this is as a redshirt freshman playing underweight. He had uh, two sacks, four tackles, and a forced fumble. And then uh, gave up a 56.3 NFL passer rating when targeted on, on four targets. That's that's pretty pretty solid day of work against a team that obviously North Carolina wants uh, to, to play well against. So, you know, that's what he brings to the table. I, I, you're going to see someone, I, I think Noah Taylor is a pretty good comp for him in a lot of ways. I mean, I think he's similar size. Uh, I think he's burstier and, and more explosive than Taylor was, but maybe not quite as long. Uh, but he's a more explosive athlete and is a faster overall player than Taylor was. And he brings a lot of the same kind of um, of intangibles. He was one of the hardest workers down in, in down in Tallahassee, and was a guy that had the respect of everybody in that locker room, uh, and was one of those team leaders that really helped transition that culture from a bad culture to a winning culture the last few years. And he understands the work; he understands how to do all of that. And the other thing is that he brings a physicality and a nastiness to the position. You look at some of the shots that he put on quarterbacks when he was there, and even on running backs as a, as ball carriers, he's a headhunter. Even the, even when headhunting is kind of not allowed these days, he's a guy that you know he's an old school player in that regard who likes to play football and likes to be physical and likes contact. And you know Carolina has desperately needed all of those factors on the defensive side. And I think he's a natural fit to slide right in and be an immediate starter at the Jack position who, you know, provides some, some uh, versatility and some, some pressure in the quarterback from day one. And it frees uh, Cayman Rucker up to, to do what he does and have some help at that position. Cause Rucker's um, a little bit undersized gainer coming in at six, three, you said two thirty ish or so, maybe they'll get him a little bit heavier. Um, but where you went there at the end of your conversation, talking about the comparison with Noah Taylor and, and then the nastiness he plays with, I mean, he's gotten the leadership award, Bobby Bowden leadership award while at, at Florida State. Um, as far as what Noah Taylor was able to do leadership-wise for this team, how does Gaynor come in and handle that, given everything you've already talked about? I think it's going to be pretty natural and pretty easy for him. I mean, he's a guy that once you get to talk to him, you, you, you'll, you'll, you'll see immediately. He, there, there's a, he's a magnetic guy and he's a smart guy. And he, he does that without being aloof or being a guy that's, that's going to come in and, and just not fit with the, with the other players on the team. He's going to come in and set an example by the kind of work he does and will earn that respect immediately and then just hold other guys accountable as that happens. He's, he's going to be a natural player. He's a natural born leader and understands how to do that. And he starts with the work again. This is a guy that's a, that, that was a legacy down at, in, down at Florida state. He learned how to work from his dad. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that guys who, who grew up with, you know, dads or, who were, you know, top players and really hard workers themselves and played at, you know, the NFL or high level college, uh, college level, those guys, those, those kids that grow up under those dads typically grow up embracing the work. And that's basically what he's done. And I think starting with starting to lead from example, and then as that develops out, 
working, you know, becoming more of a vocal leader. He will be, there will be some vocal aspects to him on this, but he'll start from the work and he'll be a guy that will, I think, just be a natural fit in that locker room. Amari Gaynor, Florida State, comes to North Carolina to man the jack position. Anything left, Jason, on his play? I know you're intimately familiar with Florida State. I just think folks need to understand for sure that he comes to North Carolina for fit purposes and not at Florida State anymore. Um, certainly Mike Norvell seems to have it rolling down in Florida State. And to North Carolina's benefit, they get a guy like Gaynor coming in that fits into – the plan at North Carolina a little better than maybe it did at Florida state. Anything else, Jason? Well, yeah. It, it, I mean, uh, let, uh, let me ask you the question I've asked in every upgrade upgrade or no. Well, upgrade over what North Carolina had at the end of the year, for sure. I think uh, when you compare him player for player with Noah Taylor, who, you know, played the first eight games, I think he's probably, probably a wash. I think you're getting essentially, a comparable player to Noah Taylor. So to put it in perspective, last year, North Carolina's pro football focus grades on defense, the top graded guy was Cayman Rucker at 84.1, then Cedric Gray at 82.2, then Noah Taylor at 76.6. Okay. Amari Gaynor last year, now more limited in terms of overall reps on the year, 82.5. So that would put him at number two in terms of graded players for North Carolina. Now, if we want to go to, say, 2019, where he was playing a role that's a little closer to what he'll be playing uh, in terms of, well, they did play him in a a comparable role last year when he was on the field for limited reps, but more extended play where he had 636 snaps in 2019. He was a 76.0 as a redshirt freshman which is right in line with Noah Taylor's 76.6. So I think basically comparable to Noah Taylor in terms of the level of play you can expect, uh, maybe a little bit more upside than what Taylor had because of the, I think he's a, a, a more explosive overall athlete than Taylor. So maybe a little more upside, but I think that's basically what you're, what you're looking at is someone very similar to Noah Taylor and the drop off from Taylor last year was pretty significant. So a significant, I think that makes him a significant upgrade over what we saw from Carolina over the last six games of the season. That's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. This has been Inside Carolina Transfer Spotlight. Jack Amari Gaynor from Florida State. One year left, five-year veteran. He's played a ton of football, brings a ton of experience to North Carolina. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Antavius Lane, safety out of Georgia State, gets to North Carolina. We'll have a couple years remaining on his, well, I guess a year remaining plus a COVID year. So that marks two. <laughs> we talked about this uh, earlier in the week. COVID years will be, we'll be discussing COVID years when we're all old and gray 
Um, I guess one of us is already there. But Lane comes to Carolina. Safety out of Georgia State. Jason, I'll start with this. Mac Brown in his transfer uh, press conference a couple weeks ago said, these days with the transfer portal, when you play against a guy um, from an FCS school or a G5 school or whatever, you walk over and you shake the best player's hand immediately because you never know when he might look, be looking for a landing spot. Carolina played Georgia State, struggled with Georgia State early in the season before pulling away, oh, actually before winning by seven, one of the close games, laying a big part of that. What's North Carolina getting in the five foot nine, 180-pound-ish safety? Yeah, he's a guy that's he's an interesting he's an interesting person to scout because when you watch him on tape, you wouldn't actually think he was five nine, one hundred and eighty. So he plays big. Uh, I think he's got a little longer wingspan than than five nine would would suggest. So I think he's got a little longer, a little more length. Looks to me like he's probably closer to like a six foot six one wingspan. I'd, I'd love to see the measurement on that, but he plays a little longer, a little bigger than what you'd expect there. Uh, and that, that was definitely evident against North Carolina. And yeah, he, he chose a good, a good week to put up his best game of the year against North Carolina last year. I mean, I'm looking through the, uh, pro football focus grades and I see that on the year, his highest grade by, by far was the 84.7 overall, overall grade that he had against North Carolina and a 93.9 run defense grade against North Carolina. He came up and made a bunch of tackles against Carolina's backs that would have potentially been bigger plays. It potentially been long plays. There were a few runs that, you know, guys just didn't win at the second level. And who did they not win against? It was this guy. And so that's something that I'm confident that the North Carolina staff, once his name hit, they went back and they looked at their own film and they said, well, our guys had trouble with him. And so, you know, that's that's kind of how this comes out. Now, he was not as consistent as I'd like to see, uh, especially at the safety position. There were, and you go back over the last couple of years, and you know, there were some. There have been some times where you'd like to see him in a little better place, but he's a guy that that I think one of the things that's a common factor that you can look at with all the guys that they brought in, they all seem to be guys who love to play football. And he's another one of those guys that you watch him on the field and you're like, yeah, that guy likes to play. He likes to, he likes to come up and he likes to hit. And some of the mistakes that he makes are the kind of aggressive player mistakes. And I think that if I had to guess, I think that's something that Gene Chizik and Mac Brown are actually looking for in terms of the kinds of players that they're bringing in right now. They're looking for guys who, if they're going to make a mistake, they want it to be the aggressive mistake. Guys who that's just kind of the way they're wired. They don't want guys who are not going to play physical. And he's a guy that even at, a, at 180 pounds at the safety position came up and played physical. I do wonder, again, how much they're going to sort of mix and match guys. I mean, are they going to look at him at that sort of nickel spot to to give Boykins some uh, some competition. Are they going to have him at a at a, a true safety spot? I, I'm curious to see sort of where he falls. And you know, I really wish he were a, a spring addition. I mean, he's going to graduate in May and then come over uh, in the summer, which diminishes how much you can kind of expect for him in year one 
right away. Although again, it's different from a high school guy where early enrolling really, really matters. It still does impact how quickly you can kind of get up to speed. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more measured in terms of what to expect from him this year, but I think in terms of overall evaluation, I see him as another guy that more or less can raise the floor in the secondary by being another guy that if you're going to beat him out, you're going to have to be a good player. You're going to actually have to be consistent. You're going to have to be a solid tackler and somebody that plays with aggression, or he's going to take your spot. Yeah, I think that's that's a big deal, um, especially in college football, especially for this North Carolina team. Six tackles, six solo tackles against North Carolina, two forced fumbles. Um, he played a week before that against South Carolina and had eight total tackles against them. Jason, he has – he's another guy that that has intercepted some passes, and North Carolina has had struggles with that. Um, Eleven total interceptions at Georgia State in four years. Um, with the ability to catch it and run. He's had a 55-yard long return and a 42-yard long return early. Uh, as far as – let's talk strictly safety right now before we, we talk about moving him up. It is What are his best traits? What are his worst traits as a safety um, that you've seen on film? I think his best trait is probably, at least in 2022, his best trait was his ability to come up and, and tackle with consistency. He's a guy that was, you know, even at 180 pounds, he regularly came up and took good angles and, and you know, consistently basically just took guys' legs out. And so I think that's probably his best trait. Uh, I think his worst trait is is... I think he can get overwhelmed a little bit in in coverage at times by the right body type wide receiver. So you look at the overall coverage grade on the year. I mean, he gave up a 92.4 NFL passer rating when targeted this year, which is not great. Now last year that was 58.9. That's, that's pretty decent. You'll, you'll, you'll live with that. So you want him to kind of return to a little bit more of what he did the year prior in, in terms of coverage. But I think, I think what you're getting with him in terms of strength is more of a guy that's going to be a, going to be a uh, sort of an eraser or someone who can help in run support, which is for, sort of funny to say for a five, nine hundred and eighty pound guy, but that's the thing that sticks out first. It's a guy that comes up and, and reliably makes tackles as the final line of defense. Yeah, I mean, 87 tackles on the season, 2022, uh, two and a half for loss, um, the two interceptions, the two forced fumbles on the season happened against North Carolina. You're right. He picked a a great day to have one of his better days on the season. As far as the room now, um, just sort of compare and contrast. You got Derek Allen coming from Georgia Tech. Um, That's a P5 to P5. We discussed that. And you've got um, Lane coming over from Georgia State now. Um, how has the room sort of settled? You, you hope to have Jacurius Conley back in full. Um, Cam Kelly's moved on. You've got Geo Biggers back there. Um, I'm missing somebody. Don but Chapman. You're missing Don, Don Chapman, Chapman and Will Hardy. And Will Hardy. So now you've got a basically a, a complete safety room, if you want to put it that way, with guys that can do different things. How do you see North Carolina's room compared to last year, um, potentially in 2023? Well, I think 
just having uh just having the the most important guy or your most talented guy at safety back for next year upgrades the room already you know if 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 Jaquarius is able to come back anywhere close to the athleticism and, and the player that he was before the injury, then you're already better than you were. Now he still has to grow as a safety. Again, it'll be interesting to see what role he plays on this defense. Cause we really haven't seen him in this defense, but I think if he comes back and, and is, is the player that he was before, then he upgrades your defense by his presence and especially by the physicality and the edge that he brings. So then after that, you're basically, and I, I kind of think of the star, you know, Boykins as, you know, part of that, that room as well. Um, I think at that point, it's a matter of figuring out who your three or four most reliable guys are who can play the proper roles to give you your best five in the secondary. So, you know, you hope that JQ is one of them. And that, that would that would suggest that he's getting back to being the player that he could have been before. And then it's a matter of can a can Derek Allen beat out, say, Geo Biggers or, you know, Don Chapman? What role can Don Chapman have back there? Uh, does somebody challenge Boykins in that role? And you add these two, you add Lane and you add Derek Allen to the mix. And I think you feel like you I don't think you're worse off with those guys than you were with say cam kelly uh and i think overall you've got a little bit better depth so you feel like oh you feel like the 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 room itself is in better is in better shape but again that's sort of contingent on jaquarius conley being fully healthy if not then i think your your floor is basically where the room was last year that you basically traded out different different players and you wind up with comparable with a comparable talent level across the board you know maybe JQ is not fully healthy or maybe you know the the fit in terms of what they're asking him to do doesn't work as well and that that's that's kind of where your floor would wind up uh, but i think there's more upside in the room with the bodies that they brought in and they're they're basically betting on upside more than they're worried about uh, about other things on that so just to sort of wrap the transfer spotlight, Antavius Lane joins, and like you mentioned, he'll be there first semester, summer, I guess in June, uh, with a couple years remaining, unless he blows up and goes pro after the first one. But North Carolina added defensive players. They lost a, a significant chunk of the defensive backfield room. We've talked about it. Um, they've added these defensive players. And I didn't give you a heads up on this question before we started recording this one. But overall, given what they lost in the portal on the defensive side, what they've gained in the portal on the defensive side with Allen, Chapman, Hussey, Gaynor, uh, and Lane, balance it for me. Give, give me your expertise here. Um, lost a lot, gained a lot. Where's the needle on improvement or not? Well, they better be Im improved. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they're not so, improved, just forget everything we've talked so about. So I've already said that given the situation at the corner position last year, you came into the season expecting those corners to play better than they did. 
Yeah. Uh, but knowing what we know from last year in terms of how the year started with a with a concussion for for Grimes and Duck not being healthy until close to midseason and then not being there for the uh, you know not entirely being there for the last bit either. I think the, the corner position should be upgraded. And I think fairly significantly over last year. Uh, I think the safety position with Jaquarius Conley returning should be also a little better. And then with Gaynor coming in, I think you're significantly improved over where you were at the end of the year, just because of all of those injuries. So, you know, I think overall you should expect personnel wise to be a little stronger than you were last year. But I've also been very much on the record in saying that personnel was not the primary problem last year, at least not in terms of talent level. So they had plenty of talent and should have played better on the, on the whole than they did last year on defense. So really the, the challenge is they needed to replace what they had with at least comparable talent and then find a way to get guys that are going to upgrade the overall culture on that side of the ball to play at the level of intensity and the level of urgency and the level of consistency that they need to be good on that side of the ball. And I think in that respect, the guys that they brought in probably fit that bill pretty well. So, you know, we'll see how well some of that cultural you know, some of that DNA transfers into the program. I mean, I think that's what they're hoping for here, but that's got to be a critical part of this. And, you know, can you get some of the, uh, some of the leadership from these transfers who are, who are coming from places where the physicality was, was front and center. Can they transition and, and bring that into a North Carolina program where that was, you know, on short supply last year, I think overall you Look, if the defense is worse than last year, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, really. But, I mean, things had better be better than they were last year, and I think they've got the pieces to where they should be better than they were last year, and they should be a lot better than they were last year. But I'm very much wait and see until I get more indication that that side of the ball is getting healthier in the areas that it really needs to. Yeah, we are are, uh, not playing the Charlie Brown again. It's a wait-and-see thing for this bunch. That's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. It's been the Inside Carolina Transfer Spotlight. Uh, kickers Ryan Coe and Tom McGinnis, the punter from Australia, they, uh, they they are joining the team as well. McGinnis has several years of eligibility. He will play behind Darren Kern in this year, and Ryan Coe looks to compete with Noah Burnett for the starting place kicker role at North Carolina. Upgrades all around. We'll have oh, to see. Austria. <laughs> I did not say Austria. <laughs> I, uh, but uh, let's get out of here well, before then. it gets too wonky, talking about punters and kickers. Those guys are very important, but they are rare breeds. Appreciate it, Jason. Stay tuned to Inside Carolina for much more. The transfer portal opens again in May. Who knows what we'll be talking about at that point after spring practice. But as always, there is no offseason, so stick to Jason Staples. Check out his video breakdowns on the Tar Pit Premium message boards, and I'll throw all of these together as a big, long podcast for those of you that don't like watching us on YouTube or can't watch us on YouTube but want to listen to us to your ears while you exercise. Jason, as always, my friend. 
So that'll do it. Hope you've enjoyed this extended edition of Inside Carolina's podcast, Transfer Spotlights. Check out all the YouTube videos, all the film breakdowns on Inside Carolina's premium message boards and sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Everyone is talking about if. I'm going to go to Lynn Human. I like it. I love it. It's original and heartfelt. Ta-da! And the must-see comedy of the summer <laughs> that's perfect for the whole family. This is just so exciting. If. Ready PG. Now playing in theaters.